of community and with the right support and professional help and it's just so amazing and I hope you church were encouraged by that. I feel like I don't need to preach so much because Rosie has already done it. I wish I knew that before we did the roster. No. <laughs> uh, no, that was so good and uh, I am going to share a little bit but I feel like God's already obviously been speaking strongly this morning through what Rosie shared and the praise and the worship was just on point. God was moving there. But this morning, I want to talk a little bit more about community. You know, we've been talking about this, Josh and I have been talking about it probably the last few times we spoke, but in the context of our church's mission statement, and I think it's good to come back to the heartbeat of the church all throughout the year, and so quite clearly this morning, I'm just going to go through that, where we're at, maybe the things we're doing well, things we need to be careful of, and maybe, hopefully it'll be encouraging, Um, and yeah, just a good time to take stock. I'm not very funny like Rosie. I <laughs> you meant to say something funny at the beginning of the sermon, but I always struggle. So I go without it. So you guys are just going to have to be engaged without the funniness. <laughs> it's Josh's forte. Um, anyway, so the first point of our church's mission statement, the reason we exist is to break down the walls between the church and the community. That's what uh, we feel our heart is at Highway and the part of the purpose God has put on us as a church. So from our perspective, what we can see in our own lives and looking at others, it's going beautifully. People are being drawn to the heart of God and the presence of God. And there's so many, um, yeah, people who are searching and their hearts are softening and they're just being drawn into community. Drawn, and not necessarily drawn into the four walls. Maybe it's into an alpha course or into youth or just on the street. People are softening uh, as we connect with them, which is amazing. And there's a real grace and a favor, hey, at the moment, just on connecting with the unchurched. And um, not that it's us and them, but there's connection, building and forming, which is incredible. And Josh and I really felt at the beginning of this year, the phrase that was on our heart for this year that God would have us focus on was welcome home. And we felt it would be a year of just welcoming people home into the love of God, into the family of God. And again, that's what it's been a season of, a year of as we said on Friday night, one of our young guys shared phenomenally, phenomenally just on the love of God and, and how he transformed his life. But one of the things he said was he'd found, I, I might get it slightly wrong, hopefully he'll share in church with us one day and you'll hear for yourself, but that he'd found a family and friends that he could share life with in the youth ministry and that highway. And he said, we can be vulnerable, we can cry together, we can laugh together. And and he just said, I've found family, I've found home in the love of God and in the family of God. It was just beautiful. And that's what it's all about. Hey, welcoming people home into the love and the family of God. And it was so powerful when he shared. And as we said earlier, uh, youth's going so well and the culture is really being established strongly. And who knows, it's significant to build into the few so that they can then go out and, and change their generation, which I think is what is happening at the moment. So the walls between the church and the community are being broken down. People are being drawn to the heart of God, the rich community of, and the rich community of faith God is establishing. And, and more than that, people are being discipled like these young people on Friday nights, people in our Alpha course, in our small groups, in our church, which is awesome, but that's the second point of the mission statement, so I won't jump the gun. So I think... Does everyone agree with me? Breaking down the walls between the church and the community, it's going okay. It's going pretty well. So that's an encouragement for you, church. You're doing awesome at that. I guess the caution for this is what can oppose the walls between the church and the community being broken down? There's probably a few things, but the one that I wanted to focus on this morning was religion. And, you know, where the heart of God is to break down walls between 
man and himself. Religion puts up walls between man and God and puts up walls between the church and the unchurched. And so that's what we have to watch out for. And we, we've seen it time and time again. Whenever God's moving in a generation or moving in a community, religion loves to surface. And we discussed this with our core team on Wednesday night at a leadership meeting and we had some great discussion. There was so much gold. I'm going to try and relay some of it now to you because uh, I think it's really helpful for us to be aware of what religion looks like so that it can be exposed, so that we can resist it. And maybe if we've like been exposed to something that is religion and we've thought it was right, sometimes it's helpful to think, oh, that's not actually right and for you to protect yourself against it. it might, maybe you might have a moment like, oh, no wonder that seemed a bit weird. Uh, anyway, so... What is religion? And some of you might be thinking, isn't religion like your choice of religion? Like on the census where you tick Christianity or Islam or Jehovah's Witness, whatever your religion is. And yes, that is religion as in you choose what your religion is. But I'm not talking about your choice of religion. I'm talking about religion within Christianity, a way of thinking, a way of life, a perception, a religious construct more so. It's something that we need to look out for within the church. And this is what I believe it looks like, and there's probably a lot to it, but this is just what I'm going to cover this morning. Um, religion is a form of faith and spirituality, but without any substance. It talks a lot about Jesus and Jesus and faith and healing, but there's not a lot of substance to it. And it can often be hyper-faith, like just believe God can do anything, preachy, 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 but not much heart, genuine heart or life behind it. On the flip side, it can be hyper-faith, but it can also be parade is quite knowledgeable and I think Leanne said on Wednesday night it's sometimes being called the scripture quoting demon. <laughs> Leanne's like don't mention my name. <laughs> I'm going to mention other people's names. So I think sometimes people can preach the word and hey but that's the word so isn't it good? Yes the word is good but if it's spoken from a wrong heart or a religious heart it can actually do some damage and some people are like you're just going to preach the gospel. <sighs> yes we do have to preach the gospel but there also has to you need to use your discernment. Is there an opening to preach the gospel? Is there a relationship there? Because who knows, significant ministry flows out of significant relationship. And who knows, the church and Christians have done a lot of damage, preaching, Bible bashing over the years. So may we be sensitive. Hey, is that person actually ready? Or do we need to just wait? And may we be sensitive to that, whereas religion just rushes in and preach the gospel. Uh, sometimes we have to be cautious as well. Not that we're holding back from the gospel. We know the gospel is true, but there's a right time for everything. Um, three, religion is often harsh, hypocritical, sees everyone else's issues but not your own. And who knows that scripture that to pull the plank out of your own eye before you pull the speck out of your brother's. Four, it's about rules and law. It's not based on relationship, grace, love. It puts pressure on people to live to a certain standard, to live a perfect, I guess, way of living, to follow the law. And often you'll find people who are walking in religion, they're actually in a lot of inner turmoil. They're actually wrestling within themselves, but so they don't have to actually deal with their own turmoil. Turmoil. They parade on the outside as having it all together because that's a distraction that they, so they don't have to actually deal with their own issues. <coughs> and I guess another thing to be cautious of is kids who grow up in strongly religious environments more often than not will rebel because it's too much pressure for kids to live under. And in the past when I've seen leaders or Christians putting that religious pressure on youth or young people, I'll get pretty passionate about standing up for them because I know religion will devour a generation. We need to stand up because who knows, you can't live under the standards of religion. No one can. 
Um, five. People who walk in religion are often unteachable, and that's what makes it so tricky. You can't challenge someone walking in religion because they don't see it. They're blinded by their own religiosity. Adam said it so well on Wednesday night. As soon as you think you're immune from battling religion, it probably means you're walking in it. I think we all need to be checking our own hearts constantly. I think it can creep in so subtly. And I'll share in a moment what it looks like for Josh and I. We know we're not careful how we can fall into it. And I think we're all different. Um, but six, and this links in with the third point about law, but religion is performance-based. I have to do this and this to be loved by God. It leads to being driven. Seven, Dean Clark shared this on Wednesday night, so I'm going to try and do it justice. But he said, I think the man who married him and Beck had described religion like there's a target. In the middle is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. You know, we agree on that. And then on the outer circle is family and something else. Just family. Theology and then lifestyle. And religion happens when, you know, we try and pull those outer things into a restricted small little space. Like we believe, we have our beliefs, our core beliefs. But, you know, there's a lot of scope for us to have different, I guess, ways of living and different ways we do family and life on the outer rings. But sometimes we can try and say to people, no, you need to live like this. And that's religion when we restrict that, those outer circles. Um, see Dean, if you want more info, he, he said it really well. <laughs> Anyway, so that's a lot of information right there, and it's probably just scraping the surface, but hopefully uh, it's just enough to get you thinking uh, and provoke your thoughts, and it does take discernment to recognise it's such a fine line, hey, in our Christian walk, because yes, we need to have faith, but then hyper-faith can be overboard, and yes, it's great to know the Word, but then when we get all knowledge and no faith and no heart, that can be overboard, and it just takes God's leading to walk that fine line, but don't be overwhelmed. I believe the antidote to religion is very simple, three points. First one is to walk with God. He'll lead you. Uh, that's self-explanatory. And just continually check your heart. God, is there anything in me that you want to reveal? Two, uh, know your weak points. For Josh and I, we know, as I said, how if we're not careful, how we can fall into religion in different ways. And for me, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I'm a bit driven, so I can err on the side of that performance-based religion, Christianity, where I have to do this, this and this, or God's not going to be pleased with me, or I have to look like I have it all together because I'm the pastor and people are looking to me. That's religion. We don't have to have it all together. Actually, God's called us to be vulnerable and lean into him in our weakness. And so for me, that's my thing. If I find myself getting a bit driven and a bit like, oh, Holy Spirit's arrived. <laughs> yeah, that was religion leaving. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, that's what I have to be careful of, and I guess Josh and I try and pull ourselves up on it. Josh, on the other hand, he can sometimes err on the side of that kind of negative, grumpy, religious type. <laughs> judgmental. No, he's great, but he knows that's his thing, and if he's getting a bit judgmental, and who knows, it does say in the Word to judge our Christian brother and sister, but when we're judging, it's to actually help people overcome their weakness and actually walk into greater life. So if we're seeing an issue in our brother or sister, it's not just to point it out and be frustrated by it, it's to help them grow through it. And so Josh and I are conscious of that, but just putting it out there, that's what it looks like for us. And I just encourage you, we did this, said this with our team on Wednesday, but maybe just check your heart now when you go home. God, is there anything in me that could be slightly erring towards the side of religion that I need to just be careful of and nip in the bud before it gets any bigger? And I love uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, which is particularly for me when I was talking about getting a bit driven. It says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly in charge of the Sabbath. <laughs> um, so I just love that verse. It's so beautiful. You know, As we learn to walk with God, he's not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on us. Maybe learn the unforced rhythms of grace. There's nothing forced about walking with God and doing life with him. It's grace and it's beautiful. All right, so, so far, how to guard against religion, have our relationship with God intact to be checking your heart, know your weakness, but thirdly, being in community is essential. And I said I'm going to talk about community. How many Fruit Loops do you know who are like, it's just me and Jesus who leads me, it's all I need. Um, he speaks to me, I'm all good. The only thing about that is if that you're walking in religion, you're so blinded, you can't see your own religiosity. So you actually need someone, a Christian brother or sister, or someone who loves you to point it out and say, hey, that's a little bit funny. Um, we need community to walk, actually to walk out this together and guide against religion. And who knows when you're walking in religion, you hear from God what you want to hear. People will say, I heard this from God. Sometimes it's just what they want to hear because you know they're blinded. Um, and people often say another thing, it's just me and Jesus, I don't need the body. I don't care much for the body or being connected in. Who knows, you can't divorce Jesus from his body. You can't be in really good relationship with Jesus if you're not actually in good relationship with his body. That's a lie of the enemy that's drawn people into religion time and time again. And you're probably not that tight with Jesus if you're only connected with part of him anyway. So community brings accountability. As we've said, we've probably said it a few times lately and... I think we'll continue to say it because it's what we firmly believe. We're here to sharpen and challenge one another to go higher in God, to go further. Um, yeah, to grow. And who knows many resist community as they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to be challenged to grow. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But I'm just going to have a drink break. Feel free to also have one if you have water. <laughs> It's a bit different this morning. Normally I kind of bring prophetic, but I feel like this is a bit different to prophetic. I don't know what it is. But is everyone still with me? Cool. Um, so, in summary, breaking down the walls between the church and the community. God's drawing people to himself. The walls between the church and the community are being broken down beautifully. The thing that will hinder and actually put up walls is religion. Um, may it be exposed for what it is and lose its power to devour over lives and the beautiful work God is doing at the moment. Uh, just one more side note before I move on to the second mission statement point. I've spoken a lot about religion guarding in our own lives, in our own hearts, but I'm conscious that sometimes people can be victim to someone else's religion. And so maybe in me talking, like I said a bit earlier, it might have helped you think, oh, I've actually dealt with someone who was religious who maybe was telling me something that was a little bit off and maybe in your guts you kind of were like oh this just seems a little bit funny but I guess I should believe it because it's the bible or they're saying it's what I should believe but may in what I just said give you some encouragement that maybe if you felt like something wasn't right that it probably wasn't right and that you can go back and shake that off don't believe everything people tell you just because it's the Bible or God or they heard it from God. You actually have to weigh up everything people say to you. And also, more than that, if someone who is religious has caused you deep pain in your heart, which I know it can do that, religion causes great damage, I pray that God brings a healing and a freedom to you this morning as you just recognise it for what 
It is. Amen. Okay, so the second point of our mission statement is to help people grow and flourish. That's our heart as a church, to equip people to grow and flourish, to see them just walking in all that God has for them, discovering the purpose of God, walking in their call, etc., etc. Um, as I've said, we're, as Sam Munker said, and we've said it before, Josh and I love this. We're just a whole bunch of friends challenging one another to go higher in God. That's the heart of us here as a church. We're challenging one another into greater growth, greater maturity as friends, as a community of faith. And as you might have gauged as I've been talking, I think there's a real grace, and not even as I've been talking, but just as you look around at the moment, there's a real grace and a blessing, favour on community, on faith, on family at the moment. I think on the flip side, there's a strength on it. There's also going to be a battle over it. And uh, I think it's obviously... Yeah, the enemy is opposing the beautiful work that God is doing. The enemy is trying to oppose the community. And of course he's going to because there's so much life on it. It's actually what's drawing people into the heart of God. We've had people from Playgroup and Alpha Course saying they drive past and just see their family, beautiful family culture that is here. And they're like, oh, could we be part of that? That looks really nice. So again, people have been drawn to the heart of God by our love for one another. So obviously it's significant. Obviously the enemy doesn't want that happening. So I feel that there's four D words, and again, we've shared this with the team, so hang in there, team. You're getting drummed with it this week. But the four D words that I feel the enemy is using to actually destroy the beautiful thing that God is doing and to actually take people out is, one, distraction, he's trying to distract. Two, he's trying to disharden and discourage. Three, he's trying to disconnect people. Four, he's trying to bring division into the house and into our relationship. So on the note of distraction... I could talk about this for a long time, but I don't feel it's the main thing. You know, there's a lot of distractions in our society at the moment. Lots of things we can be getting involved in. These days, our attention span is quite short, so we're often from one thing to the next. But I feel that, um, yeah, the enemy is using that to actually take people away from his heart and, and the house. Who knows, it says in Matthew 24, in the last days, people's love will grow cold. I just think that's happening. There's people who are walking with God whose love is growing cold. And I'm so passionate that that isn't us and not anyone here of you lovely people. I want us all to remain on the journey and fight the good fight to finish the race and take as many people to heaven with us as we can at the end of the day. So people, can I encourage you, the enemy's trying to distract. So in me saying this, maybe you can be like, oh, that was a distraction. Maybe just refocus. Um... As Dave said last week too, so profoundly, uh, when he was talking about Timothy, Paul and Timothy, Paul said, Timothy, fan into flame that deposit of God that is within you. And may God continue to fan into flame that deposit of God, the deposit of God that is within each one of us. Okay, so secondly, I feel the enemy is trying to disharden people and discourage. There's, real, there's just been a discouragement in the air. And I know Yusef spoke about it um, a few weeks ago where he said he just felt like throwing in the towel. Others have come and spoken to us and just shared vulnerably where they have been feeling discouraged. Josh and I have been feeling discouraged as soon as we're talking about not being religious and having it all together. There was probably a few months ago where we didn't feel like coming to church. And like, I love church, but to be completely honest, we were like, we don't really feel like it. Not that we do it because we feel like it. Um, but recognising that if we're feeling it, if we're having to push through to get to church, how many others are probably feeling that? And in that moment, we recognise there's been a plan of the enemy to take people out and you could just feel it in the air. There was a heaviness and oppression, and we just had to push through and go on the conviction of our heart that we love God, we love the church, and even when we're battling to get there, we're going to show up because that's what we know God would have us do. 
So if you have been feeling discouraged or disheartened, I just think God wants to expose that this morning and encourage you, uh, encourage you on the journey that it's so worth it. And I, I, I really feel <coughs> prophetically that we're coming into a season of soaring as a church. In Isaiah 40, it says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and soar. And I just, if you've been tired and weary, put your hope in God. And um, even as Matthew 11:28 says, He'll give you a real rest, refresh you, encourage you so that you can soar. And um, as individuals and as a church, I believe we're going to soar into something. And we've pushed through, hopefully, the ones that are still here, the distraction, the disheartening. And um, we've remained connected, which is amazing. So I think, uh, third and fourth, the idea of the distraction and the discouragement was actually to see people disconnected and divided. That was the ultimate goal of the enemy. So that's kind of self-explanatory. Um, and I feel like the enemy's been whispering lies to, you don't belong, you have no place here, you're not good enough. Even as Rosie said, you're alone, no one cares about you, or that person was rude to you and you shouldn't forgive them. That's unforgivable. They haven't needed, made enough effort to care for you. Lies of the enemy. And who knows, for you, it might have been even something different to that. Um, but I just want to encourage you all this morning. And even this as well, I feel that God wants to say to some of you, you're actually doing a lot better than you think you are and stop being so hard on yourself. Okay, so in summary of this, the distraction, disheartening, disconnection and division, the enemy is trying to get people offended to divide. So the beauty and the strength of what God is doing here um, is actually undermined. I don't have too much longer to go, so keep hanging in there. And who knows, God is big enough that he will still work and still move if a few people disconnect, but the individual or the family who disconnects then misses out on the beautiful thing God is doing. So I just want to encourage you to fight to remain connected. The enemy knows how key it is for you. Why would he try and push you away if it wasn't actually something that was good for you? Um, and may even this morning, the power that's drawing people to disconnect and and discourage, etc., just be broken, um, and you find grace and blessing, fresh grace and blessing for the journey and to remain connected. I know you'll be so glad you did. And who knows that, you know, that image of the sheep flock in the Bible, Jesus caring for his sheep, when that one sheep goes off, they're exposed to predators, they're vulnerable, and as soon as you start to disconnect even a little bit from the body, you're more exposed to the lies of the enemy, and we've seen it time and time again as people just slowly stop connecting in with the body, it becomes greater and greater and greater and greater because they're exposed to the lies of the enemy. The tighter you remain in, the more protected you are, the more covered you are, the stronger you're going to grow in community. And so can I encourage us, coming to church every Sunday, make it a priority. Yes, we have holidays and there's things that we go and do, but if you can be here, make it a priority because it's so significant. It's where we sharpen one another. It's where we're challenged onto greater growth. It's where we welcome people home. Who knows, it's so great to have people from the community coming in, but what if there's no one here to welcome them into the family? We've got to, I guess there's a role for us, each of us, to play in being here. And the family's not the same if we're not all here in strength. And um, fight for it. Fight to remain connected. And not just on a Sunday. Who knows, community is bigger than a Sunday. Get connected into a small group. Invite someone out to a cafe. Have someone in your home. Just fight to remain connected with the body. And I know that's the story of Josh and I's life growing up. Our families were in church every Sunday except when we were away on holidays and it positioned us to grow and flourish. 
and um, has positioned now our kids to do the same. They have such a love for the house and that's beautiful. I know Sam Monk, who leads the Equippers and Axe Church movements in New Zealand. I know we quote him a lot, but he's a phenomenal leader and we really uh, look up to him. But he says in his experience, parents will often come to him and be anguished. Why are my kids aren't in church? My adult kids aren't in church. They've just walked away from God. And then as Sam talked through with him, they realized as they were growing up, everything else was a priority but church. Sport was a priority. If it was a nice day at the beach, they'd do that instead of church. If they didn't feel like coming to church, they wouldn't. And you wonder where the kids get it from. So I think people push through, make church a priority in your life, not an outer circle thing that's optional. And your kids will reap the blessing as well as yourself. Growth happens in community amongst accountability. Um, yeah, so may we be here, challenging one another to go higher in God. Okay, so just to finish, I want to share on the stages of community. Um, to help us understand more the battle to disconnect, the tensions of community, and why it's worth pushing through for. So who's heard of the four stages of community by M. Scott Peck? Sweet, just Adams. This is all going to be news to you. <laughs> uh, so M. Scott Peck is a psychiatrist and he's just phenomenal. He wrote the book The Road Less Travelled. Um, but Peck says, any group of strangers coming together to create a community goes through four distinct and predictable Phases. So I am going to go through these with you and it's a little bit of information but I think um, he says it better than I could. So next slide. The first stage is pseudo-community. The essential dynamic of pseudo-community is conflict avoidance. Members are extremely pleasant with one another and avoid all disagreement. People wanting to be loving withhold some of the truth about themselves and their feelings in order to avoid conflict. Individual differences are minimised, unacknowledged or ignored. The group may appear to be functioning smoothly, but individuality, intimacy and honesty are crushed. Generalisations and platitudes are characteristic of this state. Now, if you like me and you didn't know what platitudes are, it's just niceties, like, oh, you look lovely, and just saying the right thing, but not really meaning it. So, you can just, um, you can leave that there or take it off, whatever you want. So the factors of pseudo-community, the first stage of community that happens naturally when a group first meets and comes together is conflict avoidance, pleasant with one another, you know, putting on um, happy faces, avoiding disagreement, um, withholding the truth to avoid conflict because who knows if you say the truth, someone might not like you, so you just keep your opinions to yourself. Um, four, individual differences are minimised. And I think this is key because sometimes in, in our Christian walk, we kind of think that everyone needs to think the same of us as us and if someone thinks different or acts differently that's a threat or that's not right and so I think part of the richness and the diversity of us as a family family of God and any family is that we're all different and may we not see that as a threat but may our differences and our diversity actually strengthen us and, and may we encourage one another in our differences Josh definitely sees things differently to me and sometimes that can be a frustration but I think that's why we're such a good team because we're very different so may we learn as a church to just um champion one another in all our glorious difference and not allow that to be a point to divide um, and again what Dean Clark said about that image when we try and bring oh Esther when we try and bring the outer circles of the target lifestyle and theology and things ideologies into that faith that smaller thing it can actually restrict and become religion so may we just be careful of that and the last thing factor of pseudo community 
It appears to be functioning smoothly at a surface level, but individuality, intimacy and honesty aren't at work. So obviously that's what we want to move through um, in any phase. We don't just want to stay stuck there. The second, is everyone with me? Cool, makes sense. The second phase of community or second stage is chaos. Once individual difference surface, the group almost immediately moves into chaos. The chaos centres around well-intentioned but misguided attempts to heal and convert. And heal and convert is often to convert people to your way of thinking. Individual differences come out in the open and the group attempts to obliterate them. Isn't that interesting? Differences coming out and people are like, kill them, they're different. Um, it is a stage of uncreative and unconstructive fighting and struggle. It is no fun. It is common for members to attack not only each other, but also their leader. Hello. Uh, and common for one or more members invariably proposing an escape into organisation to attempt to replace the designated leader. However, as long as the goal is true community, organisation as an attempted solution to chaos is unworkable. How good's that? Who knows that sometimes it feels like we're in just one glorious, chaotic mess of church life. It's how it's actually meant to be as we move into true community. And organisation isn't the goal. I think that's really interesting. And who knows, we need to be flexible and fluid in church life. That wasn't in my notes. Um, but I love it here, uh, how it says about, or oh, I already said this, but as differences surface, chaos ensues. Um, and it's common for members to attack one another and their leader. And I think this is often when people run. Tensions arise, difference of opinions arise, and it's conflict. So people are like, run, get away as quick as possible. That's when we actually have an opportunity to go a bit deeper, to be honest and vulnerable, to have some robust discussions, to work it out, and move closer to true community. Um, yeah, it's a natural progression from pseudo-community to true community. So may we just be conscious of that. If you're having a tension with someone, it's actually part of growing closer together. And like in married life or in family life, you have disagreements, you talk it out, and you work through it, and, and maybe sometimes you agree to disagree, but still, you're moving closer together if you're able to talk about it and remain connected. So the next phase of community, or stage, is emptiness. The way through chaos to true community is through emptiness. It is the hardest and crucial stage of community development. It means members emptying themselves of barriers to communication. The most common barriers are expectations and preconceptions, prejudices, ideology, theology and solutions. The need to heal, fix, convert or solve and the need to control. The stage of emptiness is ushered in as members begin to share their own brokenness, their defeats, their failures, their fears, rather than acting as if they have it all together. And I love this. It brings us back to fighting against that religious spirit that says you have to have it all together. That's part of true community, just to allow your brokenness to come out. We're all broken, flawed, struggle with something. And as we can just be open about it, like Rosie was so profoundly this morning, it actually draws us together and it helps other people find freedom. Because who knows when you share, I'm actually struggling with this, someone else might be like, oh, me too. And then you can work through it together and help one another. Okay, so... What were the main barriers this said that actually we need to empty ourselves of so that we can come closer together? Expectations and preconceptions. And I really think in our Western society there's a very consumeristic mindset towards church life. I have my expectations of what I should be receiving and if, if I'm giving up my time, um, I should be getting something back for it. But I think sometimes we need to just let our expectations and preconceptions go because it's something that can actually 
divide. Prejudices, ideology and theology. And again, we have faith, God, the Holy Spirit, we agree on this. But outside of that, maybe political ideologies, different ways. Even within Christianity, there's a lot of different churches that have different theologies on the Holy Spirit, on the way we do church life. And you know what? That's okay. We agree on faith, God, and the Holy Spirit. And that's, let's keep that what we agree on and focus on that. And like, there's a lot of room for, I guess, belief in different ways of doing things outside of that. Um, solutions is another thing we need to empty ourselves of. The need to fix, solve, convert people to our way of thinking and control. How much is there in this? Like so much in this. It's, it's amazing. Okay, so as we move through pseudo-community um, and then into chaos and then into emptiness, what's the last stage for true community? Uh, <clears throat> true community emerges as the group chooses to embrace not only the light but life's darkness. True community is both joyful and realistic. The transformation of the group from a collection of individuals into true community requires little deaths in many of the individuals, <clears throat> but it is also a time of group death, group dying. Through this emptiness, this sacrifice, comes true community. In this final stage, a soft quietness descends. It is a kind of peace. The room is bathed in peace. Members begin to speak of their deepest and most vulnerable parts, and others will simply listen. There will be tears of sorrow, of joy, an extraordinary amount of healing begins to occur. How beautiful is that? That's true God-ordained community where you share your lives with one another as they did in Acts 2 as you cry together, you laugh together, you share your failings. And how does that come? It's as we die to ourselves, our own ideologies, our own expectations, our own fears. As we just lay them down, it actually will draw us closer together. And um, as we work through the tensions, as we're honest and vulnerable with others, it brings us closer together. And I just love how it says the room is bathed in peace. Everyone can be themselves. There's no striving, no facades. Everyone just be themselves. And that's how it's meant to be. It's beautiful. I'm just going to read this um, last little bit again as well because I love it. Members begin to speak of their deepest and most vulnerable parts and others will simply listen. There will be tears of sorrow, of joy, an extraordinary amount of healing begins to occur. And I think, again, Rosie, what you shared this morning is just a picture of that. And I believe this is what God is moving us into as a church. It's true community. I feel like we've been in a bit of a stage of chaos and emptiness and there's been tensions. And as I said, often people run at the point of tension. And who knows that they're always going to remain in pseudo-community or chaos unless they're actually willing to work through the tensions and stick it out. Because as we do that, we're going to enter into true community. You've got to fight to remain in community. And who knows it's been said of today's society Everyone wants the benefits of true community, but no one's willing to pay a price. There is a price. You've got to fight for it. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to open your heart and um, fight to stay connected. I might get the band up now because in a minute we're going to sing. And no wonder there's a fight for community. Bringing it back to the big picture this morning. How are the walls in, the, in between the church and the community being broken down it's through genuine true community through family people are being drawn into the heart of God because by our love for one another people will know there's a God who loves them so of course the enemy is going to oppose that because if we're all divided and not working it out no one's going to want to be a part of it and secondly how do we grow and flourish it's in community sharpening one another challenging one another onto greater growth so hello why is there a war on community because it's so significant to the heart of God and for where God is leading us as a church 
So may we learn what it is, continue to learn what it is to do community well. And um, even on that mission statement, one, two, I haven't said the third point, which was to reach the broken world. And we're going to touch on that in the coming weeks and share a bit of our heart for mission and the vision for mission. But just say this briefly, how do we reach the broken world? Again, it's in community, in strength, as a team, connected. We can't go and change the world just on our own, disconnected. So again, that's significant there. And next week, actually, Patrick's going to be here on the note of mission to share a bit about Africa, and that's going to be epic, so make sure you're here for that. But in finishing, can I, curry, can I encourage you to fight for community, but not in your own strength, because who knows, that can become striving. I think as we lean into God, as Dave spoke about last week, that agape love, that unconquerable love, I think he fills us with that love for each other, for him, for the house, and that's what enables us actually to overcome the barriers, to work through the tensions because we love one another with that unconquerable love. And in a moment, we're just going to sing this, I believe, um, in agreement. I think it's so powerful. As I said, we might have different ways of living and different choices, but what do we agree on? We agree on the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We agree on our love for the church and I think there's going to be, yeah, there's just such power in us coming together as one, as a declaration and saying, you know what, we're going to fight for one another, we're going to fight for what we believe in, we're going to stand, we're not going to let the enemies attempt to distract, divide, etc, etc, destroy us. Um, so this morning as we sing, I believe distraction is being diminished, religion is losing its power, God is encouraging hearts that have been discouraged. May we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. May we find rest for our hearts and our souls. Um, disconnection and division is being given a kick in the teeth. As I said, we're a bunch of friends challenging one another to go higher and we're not going to give up on each other. We're going to fight for true community. May God stir our hearts and fill us with a fresh love and courage for the journey. Thank you, team. And I just think, I don't know how long we're going to worship for now. But I just, even as I was preparing, God kept drawing me back to worship. And I just think there's something that's going to be established here this morning in our worship together as we worship with one heart and one accord. And who knows, it says in Acts 2, they worship with one heart and one accord and the Holy Spirit fell. And I just believe, if you need to go, please feel free to go. But there's something God is solidifying here in our hearts, in the Spirit, as we unify and sing this beautiful song together. Thanks, Adam. The revelation.